All right, Steve, I didn't get with you, but I'm hoping you've got Genesis 27 and verse 27, and then Hebrews 11 and verse 20. Now, I'm not sure what translation Steve will be reading from, but in fact, um, uh, there are three or four verses, and I forgot to look, and I only have my New Testament with me. But lead the, uh, read the two or three verses leading up to the 27th. So maybe verse 25, 26, and 27 of Genesis 27. And then the text that I'll be dealing with, Hebrews 11:20. Read that for us, Steve, if you will. The Genesis 27, uh, verse 24, yeah, or 25, whichever. Are you my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate, and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Now read Hebrews 11 and verse 20. Listen to this now. Remember, that's a deceptive moment that Jacob has just brought about in the life of his father, Isaac. And he is stealing the blessing from the brother Esau, the older brother. As far as the human thing is concerned, he's making a theft of it. He's stealing it. Now, we know God intended for uh, uh, Jacob to have it all along. Uh, but we want you to see what the scripture says in Hebrews 11. Though we know Isaac was deceived... Look what it says about him in Hebrews 11.20. Read it now. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, uh, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. How in the world could he make that an act of faith if he has been deceived? How does the deception in Genesis 27 relate to the statement about Isaac in Genesis 11? By faith, he blessed Jacob and Esau. That's what we want to look at and give an answer for today. Now, we're delighted you're here, and we are continuing in our series on the personalities of Hebrews 11. By the way, I'm going to be with you for the next uh, three Sundays, and then I'm going to be gone First Baptist Wichita Falls on the last Sunday of August. Uh, a young man we saw come to know the Lord in high school with our family back in Fort Worth years ago has been on staff at First Baptist Church uh, Wichita Falls for 30 years. They're celebrating his anniversary. They've invited us to come, and I could not turn that down. And so uh, Steve graciously exempted me from that day. But I will be speaking the first Sunday of September, right after the first victory of OU of the football season. But it'll be uh, right after that, yeah. And I'm sure OSU fans would say the same. So we're going to do it. Yeah, uh, that's, I don't know whether that's a prophecy or not, but we'll see. 
But anyway, uh, we're dealing with individuals in Hebrews 11. Now this morning, we're going to look at Isaac, who blessed Jacob and Esau by faith. Next Sunday, we're going to look at uh, Jacob, who received that blessing and how he got it. The next Sunday, we're going to look at Isaac, uh, I mean uh, Esau, and what was said about him, because it says he, he received a blessing also. So we're going to look at Isaac today, then Jacob, then Esau, and then we'll run to Joseph on the next one, okay? All right, now, have you ever heard the statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me? Have you ever heard that statement? Man, don't ever believe that. That statement is about as far from reality uh, as it can be. No statement could be more false. In fact, if you want to make that statement correct, you'd have to say, sticks and stones can only break my bones, but words can devastate me. Because uh, James says, listen to what it says about the tongue. James says, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It sets on fire the entire course of nature. And in context there, tongue, it's talking about the nature of the person. The person whose tongue is like a fire, destructive, will ultimately destroy everything about their life and a whole lot of other people as well. Our tongues are far more dangerous than we can imagine. Our words are far more powerful than we can ever imagine. So sticks and stones, hey, let them hurl them. They don't mean anything. They can only break your bones. But words, you see in Genesis 1-1, the scripture says, God spoke. And what happened? Everything that is came into existence. And then it delineates exactly how that happened on the seven-day scale that's recorded in the book of Genesis. But the point is, God spoke. By the way, you do know that we're created in the image of God. And that means that there is a power with our ability to speak that sometimes we haven't really been cued into. Now, it doesn't mean a creative power like God, where he speaks and something comes out of nothing. That's only within the character of God. But there are things that happen when a human being speaks a word, spoken word. For instance, negative words. By the way, did they get the outlines to you? Okay. The, they, we sent them in last Tuesday, but somewhere or other, oh, I think the printer was down, and they didn't get them. Somebody reminded me that. of it. So you don't have your uh, notes, so I'll just have to give it like, you're cursed to have to sit and listen to me do the whole thing. Uh, I'll just give it to you the best I can. 
so the first thing I would say to you uh, by way of introduction to this is that uh, Words can be very negative. They have a destructive ability. Now, I learned this when I was very young. I was only eight or nine years old. My dad didn't know what he was doing. He was a confirmed alcoholic when he was 17. My mother married him when she was 14. Uh, she was only 17. No, uh, 14, 19. She was 19 when I was born, uh, whatever. They weren't real, and they, they didn't know the Lord, all that kind of thing. But I grew up with hearing my dad say, you can't do anything right. I wish you'd do something right once in a while. I'd attempt to straighten the garage up at his order. While I'm gone today, work, clean up the garage. I'd clean it up. And when he got in, it was never done right. Now, he didn't have to say anything. He'd just get mad and go out and replace, you know. Well, I knew. Now, when the greatest person on the face of the earth, so far as you know, as an eight-year-old, is your dad, no matter what kind of person he is, whatever he says, you bank on it. Even if it's the worst parent in the world, you bank on it as a little kid. And that's why there's so much destructiveness that can be done in parenting when the children are small because of the words that come out of a parent's mouth. Husband, father, mother, wife, whomever it might be, the children bear the effect of that. Mary and I, she read it first and then introduced me to a book uh, entitled Children Who Carry Our Pain. My dad had a lot of pain. He didn't know what it was to be loved or to express love. He suffered a lot of pain. But do you know that because of words spoken, a lot of other things too, but I'm only dealing with the words spoken today. There are some really painful issues that can arise. And so words are very destructive. Now, also words uh, can be very de developmental. In other words, if you say to a young person, oh, you're the prettiest thing I've ever seen. Now, somebody says, well, I just don't lie and my daughter's not pretty. I could care less whether you lie or not. In your eyes as a father, that girl should be the prettiest thing you've ever seen. And by the way, tell her so. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody says, well, is that the truth? From a father's perspective, you bet your life it's the truth. She's the most beautiful thing that's ever happened in your life. Or that son is able to do whatever he can. Do you understand? A child develops a lot of their own image from the words that are spoken by their parents. And so words can be very destructive or they can help in, develop, in development. But in the scripture, now here's where we're getting to, there is a use for really positive words that I would uh, say when delivered can do things spiritually that we're sometimes unaware of. And that's what the word blessing is all about. Now, we need to understand, uh, first of all, what I call the historical context of the word blessing. 
In other words, how it's used in the Old Testament, the history of our scriptures. How was the word blessing used in the Old Testament? It's a spoken thing. But how is it used as a spoken word in the Old Testament? Well, I'm going to help you. And by the way, I couldn't define it. So I'm going to, it, it's better descriptive. So I'm just going to use the illustration of Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Abraham and all of that to help us understand what the blessing was all around. Now, you do remember there were two things in the life of Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob and so on. And that was the birthright. Now, the birthright uh, was one thing. Then there was a second thing called the blessing, and it was a totally different thing. They were even given uh, separate from each other. Do you remember in the book of Genesis how Jacob and his mother deceived Isaac, the father who couldn't see very well uh, in, uh, actually, let's go back to the birthright itself, uh, 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 Jacob caught Esau when he was out in the field and been hunting, was hot and sweaty and hungry, hadn't eaten for however long hunters go without eating. And he came in and he was about to starve to death. That's the way the Burlesons state everything that when we get a little hungry, I'm about to starve to death. And that's what Esau said. I'm about to starve to death. Jacob had fixed a pot of lentils and said, uh, tell you what, I'll give you plenty of this if you'll give me the birthright. Well, in the mind of Esau, we're going to look at this uh, in a couple of weeks. In the mind of Esau, now what good's a birthright if I'm going to die of starvation? Hey, you can have it. Now, birthright meant that the oldest son received, according to the Hebrew law, the oldest son received two-thirds of the inheritance and uh, the property and so on and so forth and had a special position in the family, that kind of thing. That's the birthright. And Esau sold his birthright for a pot of stew, lentils, pot of beans, Pinto beans, you know. Now, it satisfied his appetite for the moment, but he later regretted dreadfully having sold his birthright. However, later, when Isaac was ready to pronounce the blessing on the oldest, and by the way, traditionally in the Old Testament, the oldest son received the birthright and the blessing. Well, Esau, the oldest boy, they were twins, you remember, and uh, Esau had been born first while Jacob was grabbing at his heel, wanted to get out first, and uh, he wanted everything that the firstborn got, and so he, with theft, stole the birthright, and that came time for the blessing. And so he had to fool his father. So he and his mother concocted a plan. Jacob put on hairy skins because Esau was a very hairy guy, big, red, robust guy. Jacob was real smooth and <laughs> handsome and dark-complected and dark hair and all that. Well, no way he could get the, the blessing uh, if he spoke. So he had to disguise his voice, had to put on skin, had to put the smell of dead animals on him, you know, cooking animals on him. And he brought in a meal to his father, Isaac, who was nearly blind, and uh, claimed to be Esau, the oldest. Well, old Isaac is ready to give the blessing. Now, the problem was Isaac knew already, as did his wife, 
the mother of Jacob and Esau, they already knew that God had said the blessing was to go to Jacob, even though he was the second born. God had sovereignly chosen to deliver that blessing to Jacob. Okay? Now, uh, Esau was not going to follow that instruction. He was going to give the blessing to the oldest boy, Esau, until Jacob fooled him. Then he spoke the blessing. Now, it didn't take long. Esau came in mad as a hornet when he found out what Jacob had done with the blessing. He'd already done it with the birthright. Now he was fit to be tied. And Isaac was ashamed and embarrassed. But the implication, the indication of Isaac is that in his heart he got right about it. Because Esau came in and said, Dad, he fooled you. Give me the blessing. And in his heart of hearts, Isaac said, I can't do that. I have to agree with God. It will go to Jacob, but I'm going to bless you. And we'll talk about that later. But by faith, Hebrews 11:20, uh, Isaac blessed Jacob. But the only way he could bless him in faith is to have in his heart come to a place where, hmm, I messed up with that thievery. I should not have ever intended to do that. I've repented, Lord. I now choose to speak the word of blessing to the correct one, Jacob. And that's how the scripture can record uh, Isaac, by faith, blessed Jacob and Esau. Now, that brings us to what the word blessing means in the New Testament, because that's the description of it in the Old Testament. It means declaring the blessings that were given to Abraham, a land, a seed, which was later the Messiah, and become a blessing to all the nations of the world. In other words, the Gentiles. That was the blessing that God said would be passed from Abraham, uh, to Isaac, the oldest, but it would go to Jacob and not to Esau. Why? Romans says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. We'll look at that later on about the attitude that says about God. But the point is, God in his grace chose Jacob instead of Esau. And since God is God, he can choose whom he pleases. That's what Paul said in Romans. Who are you? God is God. He created everybody. Choose who he pleases. But the point is this. Uh, Isaac finally agreed, and by faith, he spoke the word of blessing. Now, in the New Testament, the blessing is a little bit of a different thing. But here's the, th the Hebrew word is barak. That's the Hebrew word for blessing. It means to bow down in reverence before. Okay to bow before a king or to bow before, in this case, God himself. It's to show respect for God, Barak. But there is a Greek word, eulogio, which means uh, the same thing. It means to speak in agreement. 
But when you combine them, which is what the New Testament, the New Covenant does, it combines the old with the new, the Barak bowing with the new logos, which is the word, logio, logio, which means to speak, to say the same thing God said. In the New Covenant means to say amen to what God has said is true. So a blessing in the New Testament is a statement of the truth of the fact of what God said being real. All right, now that is the historical context. Now I want to bring it to the theological context, and that's for our benefit, the New Covenant. We don't live in the Old Covenant. We live in the New Covenant. We don't even live Old Covenant lifestyle. Lives that are generated by the work of the law. We live a new covenant lifestyle. Lives that are generated by the law of Christ, which is written in our hearts, the law of love. And so we're it with a new lawgiver, Jesus, and a new law, which is the law of love. How does that fit with this word uh, blessing? The New Testament uses the word confession. And it basically means exactly what the two words mean combined, to bow down before or to speak in agreement with. And that's what we're doing in the New Testament when we confess, when we speak the same thing God says in our hearts, believing it to be true. Are you following me here? Now look at this. The New Testament teaches that the Christian life, our New Testament Christian life, begins with a blessing, your blessing, your confession, my confession. In other words, listen to what Romans says, 10, 9, and 10. Uh, uh, for with the mouth... Uh, the, uh, the, the scripture says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what happens? You're saved. Now, when it says if we confess with our mouth, it means if we bless in the new covenant lifestyle means confession. If we say the same thing God says, bowing before its reality about Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're converted. You're saved. You're born again. Okay? Now, what that means is, and then it goes on to say, for with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And with the heart we have believed in the resurrection. Because, uh, listen to what it says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, according to the NIV in that Romans verse. And so when we speak of Jesus as Lord and Savior, when we declare that with the mouth confession is made, now does it mean literally to say with your mouth, I believe confession 
speaking a word is a whole lot more than just the word itself. It can be body language. It can be uh, however it's done. But it's a declaration that we make in faith that Jesus is who he said he would be. I will never forget when I did this. I had no clue what I'm teaching you here. I didn't understand it. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was 13 years old. My sister, Betty Joe, had started dating the guy she later married, Frank Coy, who led me to the Lord and uh, was the guy I idolized and uh, was the guy that I became a preacher to, to mimic. I wanted to be like Frank. Well, at 13, I heard Frank preach in revival. This is right after they were married. I didn't know what he was talking about when he started. Something Somehow I knew what he was saying was true. I started crying. I, he invited people to come forward. Only I'm a 13-year-old boy. I'm embarrassed. I didn't. My sister, Betty Joe, looked down, and they used to call me Butch. Uh, I've said this before. Don't any of you ever call me that. That was my nickname when I was a kid. She said, Butch, what's wrong? I said, sis, I bumped my head. I lied about it. I was too embarrassed. The next night, the revival meeting came. I went. Only this time, I couldn't lie anymore. I stepped out. Frank Coy, my brother-in-law, led me to Jesus. Do you understand what that means? All he did was, do you understand who Jesus is, what he did on the cross and what the gospel is all about? Yes. Are you willing to declare that you trust him in your heart. I said, yes. He said, pray this prayer after me. Did I have to pray that loud? I don't think so. God hears the words of our heart. But I did pray it out loud. Father, I don't understand what I'm doing, but I do believe this. I believe it to be true, and I'm trusting you, and amen. And Frank said, now, Paul, uh, see, he always called me Paul. He didn't call me Butch. He always called me Paul, respectful guy. I love the guy. Uh, he said, you're going to think this wasn't real. You're going to think it's stupid. The devil's going to whisper to you, that can't be real. Ladies and gentlemen, I walked out of that little building, and to tell you the truth, first thought I had was, what a stupid thing to do. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit reminded me what Frank had said. Now, I didn't understand all of this, and it even took me a good while to get settled in my heart that it was real. But I'm telling you, since I was 13 years old, I've been a child of God. Why? Because I confessed, I blessed the truth about Jesus that God had said with my words, my life, my heart said it, and I trusted him. And if you are a Christian today, you did too. The Christian life begins with a confession. But now here's the deal. Follow me carefully here. The Christian life continues in a confession. Now, what that means is simply this. Uh, whatever God says we are, now that we've trusted the Lord, we are to confess it, to bless the statement of it with agreement and amen to it. I believe it. That's when God said it. That settles it, whether I believe it or not. But since God said it, I'm going to believe it, and I speak it as real. I choose to believe it's real. Well, that got you saved, that's right, but that also takes you along in your walk with Jesus. For instance, he says who you are. Who are you? Well, now listen to me. He says you're holy. 
That doesn't mean pure. In this context, it means set apart for a specific, unique purpose. When you became a Christian, God set you apart for a specific purpose in life. You're separated to him. Okay? Now, that's what he says about you. He says you're righteous. For he has declared us the righteousness of Christ, just as he declared our sin to be the sin on Christ. So we've been declared to be his righteous. What does that mean? Rightness means what you ought to be. The old Puritans used to translate it oughtness, O-U-G-H-T, N-E-S-S. Every Christian is in the oughtness of God, the righteousness of God. Now listen to me. The Bible declares if you've trusted Jesus, you are holy, separated to him, for him, and you are righteous as you ought to be. And then it declares that the Father has accepted you. We are accepted in the beloved. You know what God says about you if you've trusted Christ? It says you are special, separated for him. You are are righteous as you ought to be from his perspective. You are accepted. And by the way, you could add, you are forgiven. Whatever he has said about us in the new, new covenant is the truth. You know what we do? We're to say amen to that. You say, Brother Paul, I don't act holy. I don't act righteous. I don't act what I ought to be. I know you don't. I don't either. So what we're doing when we act all this weird way is acting like a hypocrite. You know what a hypocrite is, someone acting like who they're not. You're not acting like who you're not if you're acting bad, uh, good. That's acting like who you are. If you start back the habits you used to do, going where you used to go, as you used to be in your activity, if you go back to that, then you're acting like what you're not. And by the way, you'll never be happy to do it. You'll be miserable every moment of it. I've been there. I've made those choices. I've gone back. I've gotten so mad. I told God I hated him one time. And you know what he did? Well, not a thing because he'd already accepted me. He'd already forgiven me. He'd already declared that I'm what I ought to be. But I didn't act like, oh, that's why I want to confess that. Confession, 1 John 1, 9, say what God says about it. Why? So God will forget? No, because I am forgiven, so I will enjoy the God who has accepted me. You can never enjoy your relationship with the Lord until you learn to declare what he has said you are is true. Now, that's also... Uh, we have to know what we have. We have to know what we have. That's who we are by the grace of God. What do we have by the grace of God? We have his forgiveness. We have eternal life. We have authority over the evil one. You say, but Brother Paul, I don't like, like, act like somebody forgiven. I don't act like somebody uh, who has eternal life. I act like the old person every once in a while. I know that. I do too. But I'm trying to get you to see yourself the way God sees you and to live saying amen to it and to live blessing God for it. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. 
and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. What does that mean? It means say amen to anything God said. And what he said about you, what he said you have, and by the way, uh, he says what you can be. He says you can be the person you ought to be. Somebody says, I can't be what God wants me. Oh, no, you can be what God wants you to be. If you'll declare that you are that person, you're special, you're loved, you're accepted. Now watch, if it creates pride in your heart, then you haven't got a clue what the grace of God's all about. But if it creates thanksgiving in your heart and a desire to love him in return, we love him. Why? Because in his kindness and love, he first loves us. So we learn to love him in return. But you've got to know you're loved and accepted and forgiven. You've got to know you're special to him. You've got to know what he thinks of you or you won't be able to ever be that to somebody else. You can't give away what you don't know you have. And if you know God thinks you're special, then you can... See a father who didn't treat you right, you can learn to see him as special and thank God that he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Are you following me here? People, the Christian life is not trying to do something to get God to like you. The Christian life's finding out how much God does like you and living in light of it. Christian life's not trying to do what's right so God will think well of you. The Christian life's discovering what Jesus has already done so you can live in the light of what he's already accomplished. You can be the person God, you can be the partner God wants you to be. I used to tell God, man, I can't, I can't be all man needs. And if you'd ask her, she'd say, well, amen, the way you're acting, you know. But I used to tell myself, I can't be. Do you know what the scripture has revealed to me? I may not be the best husband in the world. I may not be the best person in the world. I am Mary's husband. And by the grace of God, I can be to her what God intends me to be. But I can't if I keep watching to see what she is to me or to see if she likes it or responds to it. That's not how we love. We love and we're being to somebody because of who God is to us. Now, by the way, she loves me far more than I love her. But the fact is, I don't love her because she loves me. I love her because he loves me. And in light of that love, I want her to know I love her. Are you following me here? And then he says, you not only are the person, the partner, but you can even be that kind of parent. You say, you don't know what my kid's done. You don't know what my four kids and 15 grandsons and 16 great-grandchildren are doing. Some of them making the weirdest decisions I've ever seen. I mean, if they asked me, I'd say, please don't. What am I supposed to do? Well, get them to do it. No, I'm to love them and to know that I accept them for who they are, not what they do, what they cause, whatever. Now, does that mean you just pat them on the head and say, no, no, you have to stand for reality and truth if they ask you. But if they don't ask you, then don't tell them. You know, it's never good to give advice that's uninvited. And your married kids are really, should never get your advice until they're invited. And if they don't invite you, well, you know, Love them anyway. But you say, Brother Paul, I can't do that. I'm telling you, you can because of the grace of God. Isn't that what the scripture says? I can do anything because 
Jesus is my strength. Does that mean I can dive off a building 50 feet and live? No. But it does mean you can do anything God tells you to do as his child, as a person, partner, or parent. Now, it doesn't say that there's a guarantee that he's going to cause the sun to shine on your picnic and cause the lawnmower to start every time you start it and cause all these nice little things to happen to make life comfortable. It's not even said in the scripture that he's promised to heal you every time you get sick. Once in a while is a sickness unto death. Some people die because they're sick. I will. If Jesus tarries, which he's not, by the way, he's going to come tomorrow, if not today. But my point is simply this. We are not to claim as right or real anything except what declares is. If we claim something as right and real that God hasn't said is ours to claim, that's presumption. But on the other hand, if God declares it's right and real, who you are, what he's done to you, what he's called you to be, and you can be by his power what he wants you to be. If you say amen to that, if you choose not to say amen to that, it's sin. It's not presumption to say it. That's faith. That's saying it like Isaac did over Jacob. That's speaking it. But if you don't declare that truth, that's sin. You're missing the mark. Now, that's okay. God likes you anyway. God loves you. He's forgiven you. You're, you're, not, you're not in, you know, your performance isn't the thing that impacts him. In the new covenant, Jesus' performance did it all. That's how we live in our Christian life. Now, next week, we'll look at Jacob and what had happened to him. And the week after that, at Esau. Then we're going to look at uh, Joseph. Then we're going to look at David. We're going to look at Barak. We're going to look at Rahab. But all of them teach us something. And Isaac teaches us, we better get our hearts right, trusting what God said is right and real, and declaring it to be so. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, I'm two minutes late, but I'll start again. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Yeah, I'm just starting. Okay, God bless you. Thank you for coming. And we'll see you next time.